Hello, 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 and welcome, uh, listeners to the Anvil Bios podcast. Thanks for tuning in again this morning, or whenever you listen to it, it's morning here. I'm just chiming in before the theme song so you don't get confused, because what you'll be listening to is actually not exactly an Anvil Bios recording, but the recording of the Recognized Authority podcast. I recently did, following the kind invite by the host, Alison McDermott, we discussed all things content, marketing, content creation, and I think had a couple of new ideas in it, which I hope you enjoy. It's a bit of a longer one for, for us. It's over an hour, but I think you'll find it full of insightful views and tips. So maybe it's worth your time and, and you can think of this as a summer special extended edition. Thanks for listening as always. And let's cut to it, or rather, let's cut to Alistair to kick us off. From the home offices of Ash and Flow, this is Unbillable Hours, a podcast about professional services marketing. Stick around and listen to our insights, tips, and best practices to improve your firm's marketing and even your career. Hello and welcome to The Recognized Authority. I'm your host, Alistair McDermott, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Florian Heinrichs. Florian, welcome to the show. Hi, uh, very good to be here. Yeah, so so Florian, I know you uh, primarily through LinkedIn because you post some really great stuff up there for uh, around yeah. content creation for consultants, people like that. Your background, you are um, coming from that corporate consulting world, Accenture, and some of those other big uh, big names in in the consulting world. Uh, can you can you tell me uh, why creating content is such an important thing for experts and thought leaders and consultants to do? Oh, yeah, because, well, I'm biased, obviously, because I've been in that space for about 10 years. But um, um, I think there's there's a couple of angles we can take, right? One is the obvious business development reason, right? There's lots of studies. I don't know if you, you are uh, near the UK, I presume, right? So there's mm-hmm. this uh, agency called Grist. They run this value of thought leadership research, for example, um, regularly. The most recent episode had numbers in them stating that I think nine out of 10 executives say, oh, uh, content and thought leadership content in particular absolutely influenced my business decisions. There even was a line about how if you as a firm do not produce thought leadership content in the area of their interest, they might consider switching vendors. Uh, that, that's a big one, actually, if, if true, right, <laughs> if you think about it. Um, and then, so that's the official, we all heard that version. Um, I have a, another add-on perspective, which people tend to not like. Um, but if seen from a certain angle, <clears throat> you could say a few things about consulting services in general. And there are exceptions to this rule, but in general, um, they're often nice to have services. They're not must-have services. Right? If I run a business, I need certain liability insurances. I need, I don't know, an auditor and someone for, to doing my taxes. And I need payroll and all that. I do not need a, net, a digital transformation necessarily if my business is doing fine, right? I might not be convinced. So consulting often, not always, but often a nice to have. And then also uh, it's a commodity and uh, consulting executives really hate that one because they come back at me and say, no, it's not a commodity. They're hiring my team. It's a people business. And all of that is true, but it's only true once you have the relationship and until you have the relationship, there's a hundred firms every morning in my inbox offering me, I don't know, the digital transformation or the Salesforce implementation or the supply chain fix or whatever it is, right? So uh, buyers have a ton of choice. So you gotta stand out from there and you gotta make the case for your own service to get over that nice to have hurdle. So you really have to be clear about why would I need that? Why would I even consider that? Um, And uh, then, yeah, you have to make very clear why you are the expert to go with. And thought leadership and content are just the best ways to do it because i think of them honestly as the free sample of the consulting world right or the product demo right. as yeah vendors might have it i get to see how you think get to see how you work um and that's good that's what yeah for, for me it's about you're demonstrating your expertise in public so yeah. you're you're you know you're sharing your knowledge and you're the free sample is, is a great way of putting it um but you're also you're building an audience as well which yeah. is something that's interesting. And I I saw a mm-hmm. quote from a guy called Alex Hermosi recently where he was talking about, you know, creating content for social media and in, you know, how people see it as ephemeral. So they create something and it, it they create it in a single use and it's gone. 
but it, what he's saying is it took him a long time to realize that yeah. the audience was not the compounding asset. Sorry, the content was not the compounding asset. The audience is the compounding asset, uh, which is a really interesting way of looking at it uh, because yeah. you're growing this audience uh, who are uh, consuming the content that you're putting out there and are interested in it. Not all of them may be potential buyers, potential clients, but a lot of them might be. Uh, and a lot of people who they know might be uh, potential clients. So you're kind of you're expanding your network in that way. So I think that's that's really interesting. Yeah, no, uh, the, the, that is an interesting aspect because I, this reminds me of a client conversation that was in uh, two weeks ago where we had, we had this funny situation where there's a bunch of partners in the room and some of them are convinced of marketing and why it's helpful, others not so much. And then the story came up of a, a major account they had won based on some article one of the marketing-friendly partners had written three years ago. That was his main argument. He said, yeah, but, and they eventually came through because of this article, but it was three days later, which is probably the same point, right? The audience is there. They will read and listen in, and eventually, if they're ready, they come to you. That's that's the business development angle, I think, of why doing this. Um, mm -hmm. I do like to think that there is, and it's certainly true for my business, probably yours as well, there's also this aspect of it, it improves the business, because mm -hmm. if you do thought leadership regularly, it'll improve the thinking. It has to. It's a forcing function yeah. of your of your consultants, and I see that lead to greater service delivery. Um, and and in many cases, certainly in large firms, uh, IP creation. Because if you, I don't know, you have the big money and you do the major spiel where you run a research program and that survey leads to some terrific insight and you build like a diagnostic tool on the back of it right? Self-assessment, benchmark your own against our survey sample. You do that for a couple of years. Suddenly you sit on a trove of data and you can build a software solution on top of this. So there is more to this than just uh, marketing. But I think that's not, probably not for today. I just wanted to call that yeah. out. Because... I, I think particularly for people who are interested in developing their own skills and yeah. who are interested in becoming, if, if they're not already at the place where they might consider themselves a thought leader, um, yeah. then I think that it's a great way to get there, particularly writing about it, because the the process of writing, it just makes it makes those pathways in your brain, it makes those connections. When you have to write something, you have to deeply understand it and think about it. So I think that writing is, is a great way to actually develop your own uh, perspective, your own point of view, um, your own um, uh, voice, uh, about how you you talk, I think it's such a it's such an important skill, and and I'm I'm sure you know people are worried about things like AI, and like AI is never going to replace that. Uh, it just it can't come up, it can't write in that way, it, it can't provide those insights. Um, it's really great at creating average content, and yeah. it's great for creating the shitty first draft. Uh, I think that's that's what it is absolutely brilliant at. But uh, you know, the the process of writing I think is really important for people to go through. So. Um, yeah. But let's get on to the, the podcasting, kind of the... for that matter, right? Everybody who has a podcast, so any similar exercise yeah. where you force yourself to to your point with the expertise to to create expertise, which you then publish and you mm -hmm. have a very decent short sort of feedback cycle. When you you can't when help you but have get to... better at your stuff. Sorry. Yeah. When <laughs> when you have to uh, demonstrate your expertise in public. It's very different than just knowing something for yourself and maybe working with, with clients one on one. When you actually have to put it out there and be able to defend it in the public arena, uh, you are going to be more careful about your thinking and, and your logic. And uh, so I think that that really does make a difference. Uh, but yeah, let, let's talk about uh, connecting the actual content. So, so I, I think that we both uh, have pretty strong opinions about, you know, content strategy because yeah. This isn't just about, you know, oh, I feel like, you know, I feel like doing a video on such and such and I'm going to rant about something and put that video up. It's about taking a more strategic approach to the actual content that you're creating and the type of content and the topics that you're addressing. So let's talk about creating content that is actually in alignment with your customer journey or your buyer journey. Can, yeah. can you tell me a little bit about how you think about that? Um, oh, where should I start? So the client journey obviously is the key thing here. Um, so you've got to have a very clear understanding of who should be reading this. That's the first part. And what we are trying to help them with or sell at the end of it. Um, so that is all these things about segmentation, defining your ideal client uh, profile all these good things which we won't dive into too much but i have to say them here because again that's that's where it starts and from there you have to build like you said a client 
journey and and you and i discussed a little bit is it a funnel is it a spaghetti blob whatever there's so different models the point is you have to be deliberate and you have to design something and then you can test whether or not it works to get people from i see something you created to i get interested i maybe engage with it like you know the client journey and we have to build this and we can sit here and do it on a whiteboard and have some educated guesses that's better than not doing it but it's more risky than actually doing a bit of client research and figuring stuff out because unless you do that part uh, you run two risks the first one is you create you randomly create stuff that does not quite hit the needs of your intended target audience so you keep blogging for six months and there's nothing from it and i've met consulting firms where people have been blogging for years and there was no tangible business outcome so why do it then right you might as well scratch the blog save some time um, that's the first part. The second part is that maybe you do create stuff that's relevant enough at the front end part or somewhere in the spaghetti blob of client journeys, but you lose them in the in-betweens, right? They drop off because you missed a step. That's why we talk about the journey, right? I, that, that I think describes how I would uh, talk about it. And um, uh, the, the closing thought there is the, the more specific and correct you can get in the way you envision the client journey, um, the better this stuff works. And I'm saying this because everybody can pull a client journey from the internet, right? There's a template, there's the awareness stage, there is the search phase with however many steps you have. And these things are correct, but they're way too generic, way too generic. So you got to do the work and research your actual ideal clients to figure out what, if they are unaware or aware, what does that mean? And then you can start thinking about the content. I don't know, what's your take? Yeah, so so I think that, so we have, so the, the typical, so there's top of funnel, middle of funnel, bottom of funnel is yeah. usually some some combination of awareness, consideration, uh, decision, something like that. So your awareness is people who know they have a problem of some kind, but don't really know what the solutions are. Consideration is when they know uh, what the solutions are and they're kind of looking through them and then this bottom of the funnel is, is when they're actually comparing solutions against each other and making a decision so it's and and the funnel metaphor is not perfect we talked about this a bit because mm -hmm. people kind of jump back and forth as they learn new things uh, people may already have gone through the funnel as a client and one thing it might be interesting coming back to you again and there's you know there's a lot of people above the funnel and, and so when I diagram this, I, I have an above the funnel stage, which is like completely unaware uh, of, of the fact that there's a problem or there's a solution. They, they have no idea about any of this. And, and so what we're doing is we're trying to target uh, our content to each different stage. And mm -hmm. so what I'm what I'm really interested in talking about today is how you see the content that you create, like where does it fit in that in, in that funnel? Because I think that a lot of people are creating bottom of the funnel content, which is like comparison of, of, of solutions. Yeah. And, and so, so I'm, I'm interested in talking to you about that. Cause I think that maybe, I think that we probably agree about this. I don't know, but I haven't yes, talked to yeah, you about yeah. this yet. 100%. But, um, yeah, 100%. So, and, and I so, think it's interesting. You pointed out in this context where we talk a little bit more about professional services firms mm -hmm. because they, they are guilty as hell of that mistake. In fact, I have been guilty of this in, in the past um, because if, if you are an expert, it's so easy for you to, because you already understand the premises of the problem, you've seen everything and you are very close to the solution. It's very easy to produce a lot of content around the solution as well, mm -hmm. which we could make discuss this, but it's, it's a bit oversimplified, which is close to the bottom of the funnel content. What we rarely do is explain why do X or what is Y in the first place, even though that is why we might have to start people. And in preparing for this episode, I actually had to laugh. I came across an article on McKinsey's website, which literally read, what is digital transformation? Now McKinsey having a Mickey Mouse explainer piece of the phrase, right? Uh, should give you pause uh, because th yes, they might be doing it for SEO reasons, but they also know it helps to clarify phrases and, and mm -hmm. discussions. I don't know. Um, so uh, yeah, I 100% agree with you. People spend too much focus on the, on the bottom of the funnel, which that then uh, makes yourself susceptible to talking to the very, very small part of the market, right? The 5%, mm -hmm. as it's often called, that are searching for a solution right now while ignoring all the other 95%. And um, yeah, there's reasons why you might do that to say it. Or to, I, I can understand why you do this. It's a very high immediacy, right? If I need business next quarter, 
and I talk to these 5%, I might be able like the other stuff takes much longer time and effort, but it's overall the much more effective strategy. That's at least how I see it. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so what where I think it's interesting is part of the the job of this content that we're creating is to build trust and respect. Yeah. And so if if we are so we can do that by creating content that doesn't necessarily address the that that isn't that close to the bottom of the funnel. We can create trust and respect generating content uh, yeah. further up the funnel, even if it's something that people know about already, particularly if it provides some kind of insight. And I think that's that's where it gets interesting because you're you're creating uh, in our in our case, it, like content is usually either entertainment content or educational content or some combination of both. That that's when you boil ninety nine percent of content on the internet down to it. And in the B two B world, we yeah. typically have to be educational rather than entertaining. And it's great if we can bring entertainment into our educational content, but I think Absolutely. that that's difficult to do, and some people do it really well. Um, but it that's hard. Um, but if, if we're creating this entertain, uh, sorry, educational content, uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be PhD level all the time. You know, it, it can be, so like McKinsey's uh, example that you just gave, uh, it can be some really basic level stuff. It can be basic level, but hit them with your point of view, uh, which is, might be slightly different than what they're used to seeing. What everybody else is saying, kind of the the the, the bland, mediocre average that that is, you know, that every consulting firm is is saying. Um, but have you know having your perspective and maybe being slightly polarizing sometimes. Alan Weiss does that <laughs> uh, yeah. deliberately. He does that uh, very well. But I, I think that the content up the funnel. It, I think that people are maybe overthinking it. You know, maybe they're they're going too deep on it. Uh, and yeah, sometimes it's they... good just to have you know something that's interesting. Or they think, oh, well, that's, that's been explained a million times, or everybody knows this, which that is mm. the, I, th I think the French call it the déformation professionnelle, right? If you are the expert, it's easy to forget other people aren't. And yeah. so you think, bah, it's obvious, no one will be interested. But yeah, maybe you are, people are interested. I don't know how many clicks the What is Digital Transformation article gets. It was just, I was just fascinated by it. Yeah. Um, but I think, um, and this goes back to the, the point I made earlier about how so much consulting stuff is nice to have. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying clients will be fine if they never buy it. They will mm -hmm. be better off, right? But they might be fine. So um, you, we really have to think about this and explain, make the case or to go to your point of educating the audience, help them make the case internally. So McKinsey might as well do another piece asked, called why digital transformation, right? What are, what are the outcomes I could get from it? Mm -hmm. um, because it's probably a bit hasty to presume everybody knows and knows in the context of their organization and can explain it well to the CFO, which is probably eventually the job they have, right? And that's, yeah, that takes us also back to the client journey discussion. We have to understand how the journey progresses mm -hmm. and what the specific jobs are on these stages, right? Yeah. What, is, what jobs do buyers try to do when they are, as we call it, higher up the funnel, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, uh, so the, the way I think about it, people are, the, the potential buyer is completely unaware that there's an issue. And so at that point, the, the, the kind of content that you're creating is yeah. just around saying, hey, you know, there's this problem that people have that you may not realize that you or your company has. And, mm -hmm. um, and it's actually a pretty big deal. Here's, here, here's some information about this. And, you know, and some people talk about exacerbating the pain and focusing on the pain and at that stage to, to kind of uh, to show people what the true scope of the problem is because a lot of, you know, it's the boiling frog thing. Uh, a lot of people in, in business, you know, they, they won't take action until it really hurts. But if you can address it earlier, then maybe it's going to hurt less. But th that's the unaware stage. Then you've got problem aware and then you've got solution aware. So problem aware is people who know they have a problem but don't know how to solve it. And at that point, now maybe they're they're hitting Google. They're asking yeah. questions or they're, uh, God forbid, they're hitting ChatGPT or something like that and asking questions, trying to figure it out. Uh, and then trying to figure out what, you know, the scope of the problem and the scope of the solution. And then solution aware is when they actually know, okay, here are some different ways I can approach solving this. And, and typically people are going back and forth. And, and this is where I think that the linear metaphor doesn't work so well because people suddenly realize, oh, hey, um, 
this is actually a knock-on effect of another deeper problem that we have. And suddenly they go back to the start on that and, and then they realize, oh, that solution could actually fix this other thing that we've been thinking about. And, and so it's, it's kind of, it's messy. It's not as linear as it, as it seems. But I think that thinking about that in terms of the content and, and specifically like, you know, okay, we're going to write a blog article uh, called What is Digital Transformation? Because we want to have something at that stage. And, and that's, how, that's how that post ends up on McKinsey website, I think. So, yeah, what do you think about that? Yeah, it's, it's true. And I think I like the, especially the differentiation you give there between the versions of varieties of awareness, right? Because mm -hmm. um, that was a contribution I thought about making to this game of everybody has to reinvent stuff that clearly already works in marketing, right? I made that before. <laughs> <laughs> but people critique the funnel and go back to the funnel. And it's like, I think I have an idea for the funnel. Did you ever consider that in a consulting context, there's a difference between awareness of the experience pain mm -hmm. and awareness of the underlying root cause issue? Yeah. Uh, so I am aware that, uh, oh my God, my company wants to hit the capital markets for the first time, issue a bond. And now there's all these requirements my finance department has to do. And it takes them weeks because we don't even have the right Excel templates. No one has ever done this before. So I'm very aware of the pain. I don't have the right Excel template, which is different from maybe I should have had a treasury management system, a software that does all this stuff for me in the first place. But these are disconnected. So it would be meritful for me to put out content that helps with the immediate pain. Here's an Excel spreadsheet template for you if you want to do it manually. But did you know? And then we follow up with the uh, with the treasury management system. But, um, but I abstain from doing that. It's just your your point with thinking about what do we even mean by awareness? Thinking about it from different angles, also something that I don't see enough consulting firms do. Maybe I interact with the wrong ones. I don't know. It's not good enough to say, uh, to write a why you need parenthesis exactly what we are selling you. It's better than not have, having anything, but it's even better is to, to target awareness content to the experience pain they had in the everyday. And then from there lead to the root causes because now they're fully problem aware. It changes from, we don't have the spreadsheet template to, oh, maybe we should consider a, 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 um, a treasury management software or whatever that was. Um, and, and then we can start to talk about things. And because we've already taken them through this first step, you thought the problem was X, I showed you the problems Y, that's already some trust being built uh, on the very, on the top rim of the top of the funnel, if you will, right? They haven't moved. Yeah, and much. again, it's interesting because like I think about trust, but it's it's all the way through. And, and But I, I think about trust, when I think about the consideration stage, which is kind of the next stage after awareness, awareness consideration. And yeah. I, I like I actually break down, and maybe we can collaborate on a, on our version of the funnel. Uh, <laughs> the world <laughs> needs more funnel. Yeah, not, yeah, not. you know. Um, and Well, maybe I'll, I'll come back to that in a second um, as a meta point. But uh, yeah, so I, I think of consideration, and I break that down into three, because I break down uh, awareness right. into problem awareness, solution awareness, and then consideration is consideration interest. So they're interested in you as a potential solution and then respect so they respect you as a potential solution and then mm -hmm. trust so they actually trust you because i think those are kind of different subsets of somebody's um well we can get really nerdy here and call it somebody's parasocial relationship uh yeah. with you um where you don't know them but they they feel like they know you and that's where content especially like this where uh, people build a relationship, this one-way parasocial uh, relationship where they feel like they know you. It's the same relationship we have with celebrities we see on TV. Um, so we're like these mini, micro, uh, extremely nerdy celebrities. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, but you're 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 doing that. You're taking them through these different stages of interest, respect, trust, um, while they're considering you. And so you can you can uh, you can address all of those things in slightly different ways. What I like about those is when you're thinking about the specific content that you're going to create, you can create content that says, "Okay, I'm going to create something that is going to help people to trust me," or "I'm going to help." Uh, create, going to create something that's going to help people to respect me. And you can think about that and, and that can give you an angle on the content that you're going to create. That yeah. that can give you that that kind of perspective on that. So that that's that's the way that I use that when I'm talking to my clients about the content that they're creating. Um, I talk to them about okay, let's make let's make some trust building videos 
for you, for example. And and the way that you do that is it's going to be slightly different, you know. And um, the interest stuff, you know, trying to grab interest. Um, interest is 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 an interesting thing because you, you're trying to pique somebody's interest, uh, and uh, that kind of content can be different. Some of that can be like the polarizing content. Yeah. Polarizing content doesn't necessarily make somebody trust you, but um, it can certainly grab their interest. So that, that's 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 how I think about this. Um, I'd be interested, Florian, in, in in your perspective on that. Yeah. So the the interest one is, I mean, back to the point of reinventing the funnel. Like to all of that, to me, it goes back because I, in a different life, started as a copywriter in an advertising agency, um, which, by the way, I sucked at, if I can say so myself. So um, don't don't hit me up for copywriting. But but. To me, the funnel, um, the demand capture versus demand creation, all that stuff, uh, the, the blobby chart Gartner did with the completely fractured buying journey. It goes mm-hmm. back to the AIDA principle, right? Attention, interest, desire, actions. You have to have content pieces for each of those. And the way to pique people's interest, my perspective is, going back to the client research, if you really understand where these people are at the various stages, um, so I, it takes research for me to understand someone who is under pressure to issue a bond and doesn't have the necessary tools to file the paperwork and do the reporting. Um, I need to get into their heads and their shoes, right? And um, that's if I can nail that, uh, then they'll get some interest, right? I, you probably know how much uplift people can create if they get the messaging to a point where it really hits the nail on the head. And that requires, and you said this at the beginning, requires empathy and also some knowledge, obviously, and expertise of the of the sector, right? But um, both both the things. And regarding the provocative stuff, yeah, sure. Um, but again, I, I guess you can, the only way to be provocative in a constructive way that isn't cringeworthy uh, requires you to, again, having a good understanding of what the people you're trying to serve are, are uh, going through and looking for and all these things. So I and think also, I've done enough hammering home on the point of client research, right? It's really important <laughs> people. That's well, what well, also, I, you know, on the provocative stuff, I think it really does depend on you as a content creator. creator it, a lot of it depends on your personality. <laughs> and in the context of a larger firm, I think that's got to be tough to figure that part out, like where, you know, finding the brand voice for the for the entire firm. Um, but on yeah. just in terms of client research, and I, I think that this is where you can get really interesting with content repurposing, because I deeply believe in the value of doing uh, research calls, research conversations on people, for example, on Zoom. And I think that that's a great way to do research. And it gives you literally the voice and the the gives you a deep insight, and it also builds a relationship. But you can also do something like turn that into a podcast, and make that a a podcast where you are interviewing your clients and potential clients about the issues that they're facing, and that you know that's a great way to create content that you can then repurpose later, and also to do this research that gives you this deep understanding and specific language, and that's that's a really crucial thing. The specific language that people use when they're describing the problems, because that going back to your copywriting background, that gives you that copywriting gold for yeah. your for your sales pages for your information pages. And honestly, um, can can I get on my hobby horse of this little? often underappreciated fact that consultants are content creators by definition. They create content all the time. That's their job, right? They present analysis, they build decks, they run numbers, they have spreadsheets. So because you said repurposing, um, when I say client insight, for a, to, just to give an example, a lot of that already exists in the firm or in, in your various tools if you're a solopreneur single consultant, whatever. I just want to call out something here. Um, yeah. Florian, you mentioned something, and I think it's the first time I've ever seen it mentioned, but uh, the, 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 the fact that in your RFPs that you're receiving, your yeah. request for proposals, there is a goldmine of information yeah. and, and that can be repurposed and investigated. And um, I, I, I haven't heard anybody mention that before. And I just think that it's so clever because I think this that... Is- <laughs> Coming from my background in in kind of the the creative sphere and in web design and, and places like that, like RFPs were, are are a nightmare and, and usually something to run away from. And uh, I know that a lot of firms that that you know that they just don't bother to respond to RFPs um, because that's that's not how they're and set up. Yeah, and if, but, if you are in the, if you are in major enterprise business and in areas mm-hmm. like IT solutioning and so forth, uh, these things will be gold mines because they yeah. probably have to go through the RFPs 
even if you have the client relationship, it's just how the projects are being done. And you you want to know what a major solution architect at insert cloud hyperscaler company here, what they care about when they commission consulting work around, I don't know, uh, setting up a new data center facility. Uh, just pick up an RFP and read it because the questions are in there and even better, the answers of the expert consultants filling this thing out are also in there. This is what I mean when I say a lot of the, uh, and this is, this is uh, I don't know if it's necessarily awareness stage content, but it's definitely the stuff these people think about um, mm -hmm. as they search for, for vendors. And there's no reason to not take this and add it um, uh, to a point where you can then publish it. Obviously, you know, confidentiality, all that stuff, you have to be careful how to generalize it. But I always found these things helpful. And back to my point that consultants create content all the time. They just don't think about it as marketing content. Yeah. And marketing sits over here and creates marketing content all the time. And sometimes the two meet and, and disagree with each other joking but um if you can if you can make these circles overlap and create a bit of a venn diagram you can get so much done um uh, and in ways which are very very relevant and helpful to all these funnel stages and if yeah. i may just briefly going back to the the same is true by the way for client research yes you can do surveys yes you can host a podcast i do all of that it's brilliant you can also go to the three partners of your mid-sized firm and ask them can tell them can we sit down over coffee each one of you gets their phones out and you pull the five last project escalation emails you gotten from your teams because the client was client was unhappy or had a question. Tell me what it was and tell me what the reply was. This, this is actual insight from the, from the trenches, right? Because consultants are in there every day creating content, which has to be relevant. Otherwise, the client won't accept it. So just the, the project delivery, the, the content that falls off of the project delivery wagon can be a, a tremendous goldmine of stuff. You don't need to reinvent the wheel. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, <clears throat> and the, like, I, I, I find it, I find it uh, amusing, not, not for the person experiencing, but I find it very amusing when people tell me that they don't have enough ideas for content. Uh, you, you, as soon as you start to dig in, you'll, you will never have problems finding content. If, you, if you've been doing what you've been doing for, you know, five, ten years uh, or longer, you, you are absolutely will have enough ideas for content. There is, there are so many things that you can dig into. Um, the other place that I like to go to is um, looking at emails over a certain size in your sent folders. So um, <laughs> did, did, did you write an email that is over four paragraphs long? And yeah. give, you know, go look for all of the emails that you wrote that are over that length. And most of those or many of those are going to create are going to include some really, really great content that can be repurposed into a blog post or uh, into something else, you know, and, um, some some great insights in there. And and again, these are addressing specific questions that you've been asked uh, either by somebody, you know, um, somebody in your firm on, on the team or directly by a client. And it just it gives you such great because, you know, that people are interested in the answer to this question. I, I think there one thing that we, we, we should address was something you mentioned earlier on was, you know, people have already said that before. Why do I, why should I say it again? And I know that so pe some, some people will have that marketing hat on. They say, well, of course I want to say it, but there will be some people out there who think, well, it's already been said. So why, why would I bother to say it again when they've said it just as well or even better? What, yeah. What's your answer to that? Um, so a, a never underestimate, like um, I always say, this is the expert's perspective because this stuff I don't know, doing a data maturity assessment in a large enterprise before they implement AI, whatever. I'm making these examples up. Like this is 100% of your day. So use the consultant to do this. Tell me that's super boring. Everybody's doing this all the time because that's the bubble of the world you see. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, the prospects we are trying to attract, they do this, I don't know, 2% of their week max. So even if there's tons of voices who had already said that stuff, um, chances are they haven't heard them. You have because you read all the stuff. You read all the blogs. You read all the trade press because it's your job. They don't. So maybe uh, you could also repeat that and you could do it uh, through your in your voice, in your perspective. Maybe you can add a little bit of a provocation on top if you can. And this is often the case, I find. Often you just, just ask the consultants, you're doing this data maturity assessment stuff. Uh, what's the one thing the competition keeps telling everybody that annoys you? And then boom, usually they have an answer. You say, oh my God, these other guys at big firm consultancy, I hate how they say blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, that's how you can find stuff. And then last but not least, um, and I've made this argument and it's a cheap one, but depending on 
how the firm is positioned and where it sees itself, um, and I'll use my former employer, Accenture, as an example, there might just be the plain argument uh, of you can't afford to not say anything about this. The keep sticking with data maturity or data analytics as an example, that's been said a bazillion times. Do you think Accenture ever came to the idea of deciding to not have content around that? They have to because they understand themselves and are positioned as a blah, 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 a tech consultancy that's in the space or so. So these are some of the points you could bring. And um, uh, then it's the last trick you can pull off causes to say, well, you tell me it's been explained a thousand times. What has not been said? And uh, that's a more difficult one, but sometimes you find something. Um, because, yeah, I like that. That's yeah. that, that's that's a really great, a great, really great question to ask about that. Um, I, I think that, you know, the so it's it's like. It's it's like a, a river. Um, our attention it's it's so ephemeral. It's passing. There's so many different um, there's so many different uh, things that are drawing on our attention and people's concentration. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's like in web design. You know, I, I'm talking to web designers and uh, about uh, about looking. You know, the design of their their website or or talking to. Um, business owners about the design of their website. And so they're looking at it in their air conditioned, properly lit office on their 29 inch IMAX screen. Your client might be looking at it on in bright sunlight on a uh, on a screen with a cracked screen um, while there's a screaming baby in the background and their boss is asking them for, for something and they're trying to desperately get it yeah. before they get on a Zoom call. And, and you, you know, so we do need to simplify. There are so many things going on in, in the world, in, in life, we do need to simplify and we do need to repeat. And so I think that's why creating content uh, that, you know, creating a lot of content because there is and there is going to be more and more content out there now as people use AI generation tools. A lot of crap content is going to be out yeah. there as well, which which is kind of good in, in some ways because it means that when you put something good out, it's going to really stand out because it's, you know, it's maximizing it's maximizing the value mm -hmm. of uh, of fresh ideas and original thinking. Yeah. And uh, publishing something regularly, even if it's crap at first, is the only way, at least I know, to get to the better ideas. You have to mm -hmm. have a bunch of bad ones um, to get to a good one. And it's much easier to get to a good one if you put bad ones out and take the feedback into consideration. If I just list bad ideas here in my office and no one ever sees them, how do I even know they're bad, right? So yeah, yeah. Um, that's that's maybe another argument, which, yeah, you're right to bring up the, the content explosion chat gpt is going to take us all to yeah so so will, will, will the, the internet will the internet even be usable in 10 years <laughs> that's, i'm just kidding yeah. um so one one thing that um that you mentioned there is is kind of like the learning journey with content and and this goes back to you know writing helping us to learn and you know like as for example uh I have uh, this podcast, which has, you know, 125 odd episodes. And uh, and I have another couple of podcasts that I've interviewed of more people. But those are conversations that I've had with experts. And I have learned and changed my thinking and changed my position yeah. on things and learned different aspects. Uh, apart from, you know, the hundred odd new relationships uh, that I have with people, which is an amazing aspect of, of podcasting in particular. But just the learnings that you can get from doing that. Um, so you can learn from the content that you're creating. But I do think that it's important to not avoid starting because you feel like you're not ready. I think it's really crucial, particularly at an individual level. Um, I see people all the time. They say, oh, I'm not, you know, it's yeah. I, I want I want to do this thing. I want to put this out in the world, but it's not ready yet. It's not perfect. The problem is the only way to make something ready is to go and get experience. And the only way to get experience is to start yeah. before you're ready. And that's the, the catch 22. And, and so I think it's really important that people actually start before they're ready. I love how you phrase this. Um, because it's the correct way of putting it, is to not be hindered by your feeling of it not being, being perfect. That's different from the advice I also sometimes hear, which is, oh, just start. I have a problem with that because if you're a management consultant who wins their business based on their expertise and mm. reputation, don't just put out any old stuff, right? Do put some work into it. And this is also the reason why a lot of this content stuff is so difficult. It does require investment and effort. And so there's There's um, a fine line there because... You don't. Yeah. You don't want to put it out because it's not absolutely perfect. Perfectionism it, is bad. Mm -hmm. Just hitting publish on any old crap, excuse me, is also bad. So yeah, that, you've, that's you've, why you've I like. Got to, you've got to use a bit of. You've got to use a bit of of judgment here. You know, yeah. 
Um, and if your content could be mistaken for something that chat GPT spat out when it was asked, you know, something, then maybe, maybe you need to rethink, you know, it's like, it's gotta be insightful. It's gotta be interesting, but th- there has to be a place for the learning curve. And, and this is like, this is my, my, like, I do take issue with people who say, you know, that, that, you know, the, the content that you create has to be, has to be top quality. I agree that that's what we should be aiming for, but you also have to publish stuff uh, at the start, even when, you know, okay, you know, this isn't as good as Alan Weiss would have written, or this isn't as good as Florian's would have written, but this is, it, it's still good enough to be useful to somebody. And I learned while I, while I created this or I wrote this, you and, know? And that's the magic part, right? Is the, the quality requirement comes in at the, do you understand the audience and can you offer something to them that's helpful? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it think, could be the shittiest finance Excel template ever, but it rescues my Thursday because I have to hand the thing in on Friday. You're golden, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't have to be fancily formatted. It doesn't have to be perfect macros. The file name can be crummy, but it helped me. That's I think that's the threshold. You 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 are at the end of the day, you are not ex- you are not the last instant of controlling quality. The recipient is. If it's good enough for them, you did well. So. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's the thing does it does it actually help somebody and I think that's where when people are doing stuff like uh, they're doing particularly with with things like video where it's quite technical you know you've got lighting you've got the video you've got the okay, audio yeah. and all that kind of stuff uh, you've got your background to think about uh, you've got the fact that you've got the wrong pair of glasses on so your glasses are really reflective on the screen uh, you know all of all yeah. of these kind of things that uh, that go into thinking about this um but the you know ultimately it's what you're actually saying it's the words that you're saying and the meaning of those words that's truly important. Now, yeah. obviously, you need people to be able to hear them and you would like them to be able to see you. It's much more important, by the way, that they can hear you clearly uh, than that you look good. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah. but you know, the, the, the actual insights and points that you were making are far more important. And I think that's where people are are kind of optimizing for the wrong thing. They're worrying too much about the lighting and the video quality. And yeah, it's nice to have all of that. And, and you know, I've, I've like, I've, I've got a free guide on how to do that if people want to get really good at that stuff. But, you know, ultimately it's more important that you've got something important to say that's interesting and that's insightful and is helpful for your potential client because that's what it's really about at the end yeah. of the day. Which is where we get back to the client journey, right? Um, yeah. And, and really understanding it. So I would worry about that a lot more than I would worry about the actual outputs. Because once you have that figured out, who are they? How are they progressing through the thing? Uh, in the process of figuring it out, you will already bring knowledge together. That you co- Essentially, the more you do the research, the less you worry. You have to worry about having good content at the end because you will, ha- you will have that. Yeah. It comes from the conversations, it comes from the insights and all of that. Can I, I know we run out against time, right? I just have one more pointer I wanted to give because there's two, I see two mistakes which are getting made all the time. And we mentioned the first one at the beginning. Small and mid-sized firms too often do not have the top of the funnel content. So they don't make the clear case for why I should buy their nice to have service. Uh, if you're in the situation, try and fix that. Very large firms have tons of top of the funnel content. They sometimes overshoot it because it gets so far out ahead and lofty that there's little connection back to the business. Uh, when I had roles of a content manager nature in those firms, that's what I tried to call, cut back on. Like there should, the through line to the business at the end always has to be there. The client journey design, that's where you have to, that's the conflict line. What does the client want, but does the firm want? It's not always 100% aligned, but you got to stitch together as close as you can on that stage and then create the content that sort of fits that exercise. <clears throat> yeah. And, and so my background is in software engineering. So I always look at these things from a kind of through that en- engineering viewpoint. And so it, the the bottom of the funnel content is really clear and obvious to me as to what, you know, here's here's how to fix your problem. Um, that stuff is is really, it's it's that that lofty stuff that I, I personally miss out on, on creating sometimes. And I, I can see that as well in, in the small firms and small, small, the solo consultants and people like that who I'm talking to, because it's it's that, you know, that, that's where you can take a, p- a page from Accenture or McKinsey or people like that yeah. and say, okay, we're gonna, we're going to kind of address some of the, you know, the 40,000 foot view stuff, um, which which should, if you've done your buyer's journey correctly, you've done some research yes. on that, it should align you can bring uh, directly that back down. to something yeah. tangible for the business. But let me, uh, I'm not going to say the name of the firm and the name of the sport, but I did work a little bit 
many years ago, rolling out a insert sport money leak research study, and I guess people can find it, um, that basically ranked certain sports clubs by their financials. And it was a huge success nationally. Like the press, like we would have coverage in all national outlets. Uh, very unfortunate that we did not have a national sports practice. So it was business was completely irrelevant exercise in that country. <laughs> but, and, but, and it was a pricey translation. But anyways, so these, these things happen as well. And it's not um, the place you want to be. Let, let's wrap this back to the title here. Because we, we yeah. said we were going to talk about creating effective thought leadership content. So, so one thing I, I just want to talk about quickly is thought leadership. Uh, it's one of those terms. It's a bit wishy-washy. Some people really don't like it. Some people like it. I, I did consider using thought leadership in the title of this podcast. I decided to go with the recognized authority because I was more interested in the building authority side of things. But I think yeah. the thought leadership is really important. Can you just tell me a little bit about how you think about thought leadership and, and what thought leadership means then in terms of content? Yeah. So I think um, the, and there's plenty of definitions out there and I'm not trying to give you one because I don't think I have one specific one ready. For me, it is this question of, which it always comes back to this, this entire marketing, content publishing, all that stuff should just be an extension of consulting. You ought to be helpful to people. That's what it's about, right? Help them achieve business objectives. That's the, the industry we're in. And there's a paid part, which is the consulting engagement. And there's the unpaid part, which is the marketing department. Um, but uh, coming back to so thought leadership to me in that sense means um, having helpful thoughts, having helpful thinking that leads the recipients of the information to the next step, next step, next step, next step, closer to the good outcome. Um, and that's how I tend to think about it. I know there's other notions of, oh, I'm a thought leader in the sense that I'm, I'm a leading thinker, like I'm two years ahead and 15 books ahead and all of that of, of the client. Um, also true also helpful, but it doesn't have to be that, not necessarily. If you have helpful, fresh, original insights that help me with step one, two, three, four, five of my thought leadership, um, you don't have to be 20 years ahead. You just have to give me the next thing to hold on to so I can make progress. And I think that is, I don't know if that's very, if that's too practical for you, but I think um, it's a very workable uh, definition of the, of the phrase. I, yeah, and, and, and I didn't I think want to get the definition. Sorry, but yeah, no, but I, I think that the 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 key thing there is is having those insights, and I think that those insights, if you are not already having them, I, I guess I'm talking to people who are kind of back in early stages, but if you are not having a lot of insights around your around your area of expertise, then I think that there's two things that you need to do. One is you need to talk to more clients about the problem directly, and two is you need to write much much more about yeah. it and i think that doing those two things will lead you to those insights uh, i think i i think like and i i strongly strongly believe in that that you will get to the stage where you will if you if you talk to enough clients and think about what they've said you will get to the stage where after you've had some of those conversations if you record them on zoom uh, i've done this uh, for a book about building authority uh, i had uh, i think i had 40 conversations with people and, and by the way people are really responsive you say hey i'm doing some research for a book i'd love to interview you uh, and just get your thoughts on this and, and i'll record it i just want to use it now you could also pitch that as a podcast um which then gives you this ultimate repurpose and I think I really love doing that um, as, a, as a concept. But um, doing, doing those calls will give you a massive amount of insights into the problem and potential solutions and what people have tried. And you will definitely have, the, um, have enough information to turn that into a book, 100%. Because uh, I know that people kind of think about, you know, wh what am I going to write about and where am I going to get those ideas? So I really believe in that. And then the other thing is actually writing, just formulating your thoughts in writing in a way that other people can read it. I think that that is one of the best ways to come up with insights and, and connect paths. Or as a former in-house marketing guy, just give it to me, just give it to the marketing team. We can publish it for you because if you're a consultant, you are a thought leader in my sense of the word already. You are already the lead climber in the project of guiding the client up the path because you have the expertise, right? You can make sure they're safe. You're already yeah. in that position. Just share the damn stuff sorry <laughs> uh, my 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 last we thing can help you get it published <laughs> we do not have nest we do not have the expertise i do not know anything about treasure treasury management system implementation i know how to publish it 
when mm-hmm. you have it, but you've got to give it to me. Yeah, um, and, and and getting that, and, and this kind of leads me around. I, I, I put up a guide recently on, on LinkedIn. I, I have it available for download. Um, it's a PDF guide for um, how to create a how to create content efficiently, like how to create high quality content efficiently. Oh, yes. And I'm, one of my favorite things to do, and, and I, I do this now with, with clients, is uh, I will interview them now. I've got experience in interviewing a lot of people as a, as a podcast interviewer. But I think that interviewing experts, and if you are somebody who is very busy, but you are a true expert in your field, getting somebody to interview you for 20 or 30 minutes, if you have the right set of questions and somebody who knows the questions to ask and can figure those things out, uh, what you can do is you can get a mountain of content. You can get a month's worth of content from yeah. a 30, 40 minute interview. And th- so I think that that's a really time efficient way. If you are somebody who's busy is to get somebody to actually interview you. I think it's a great way of creating content because that, you, you know, when you were talking, Florian, about, um, you know, give me the content. Uh, well, maybe <laughs> they don't have the content in any kind yes. of form, but how about get get on a Zoom call with me? And, 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 you know, I'm just going to yeah. transcribe. We're going to, I'm going to interview you. We'll even turn that into a podcast. That's going to be our new, that's going to be the new, the new podcast for the firm. I'm going to interview all the partners. Uh, I'll just go around, like we've got four partners. So we'll interview each one of them every month for 30 minutes. And and suddenly, you know, after 12 months, you've got all of this content that is thought leadership content. You've got podcasts, you've got all of these web pages, you've got video that you can put up and, and, you know, and, and video is really important for, again, trust, engagement and reach on social media. And, and you know, those are ways that you can do all that on, you know, a, a fairly short time commitment. Like if you've got your your uh, your principles like you talk about, like that's a 30 minute commitment once a month to create yep. something that is hugely, hugely valuable. And here's, and the, here's, that's, the, that's here's the, the point. Yeah, sorry. Here's, here's the point for the marketers on the line, right? What you're describing there, that process, the marketing team has to have that. And they have to be the thought leaders, the, the, the guides through that process. Uh, the consultants will not sit down and prepare an interview and then ask you to, like, you have to put that up. And this, again, brings us back to the client journey. If you've mapped that out, you will be able to ask them a question because you'll have to, you'll have determined what other questions people at that stage have. And you'll know, look, the finance folks we tried to talk to, they are wondering, why does it take so long to put this freaking reports to or the, the paperwork together? What, what are we missing? Why does it take so long? How could we speed this up? That's the question. For the, do you know what I mean? Like you have to, you have to build the process out, prepare the interview, and then it's. I when we run similar processes, we we like to send one or two questions a week or two weeks in advance, and then every, because they have that, the consultant now has it in the back of his or her brain, and every email they read, every client interaction becomes input to that answer, and when they show up for the interview, it'll be like you say, it will be twenty minutes stuffed with good stuff and it'll be easy to convert into content for a month yeah Agreed. i'll even i'll even give you some questions to start you off and, and you can ask these questions and 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 these will be useful um who is your ideal client and what's the challenge that they're facing if you ask that question to your uh, to your principal they will give you a, a really detailed and great answer that you can use in marketing uh what are the common uh, mistakes that they're making when they try to solve the problem um what is something that they can implement or what, what they can do to actually fix the problem uh what is a common myth or misunderstanding in 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 this field or what are our competitors saying i like your one what are our competitors saying that drives us nuts when you hear when you hear it i don't think i, I worded or where are they lying i've asked this as well and <laughs> you'll be laughing at the answers yeah. you can get <laughs> and then get, getting to to unique point of view what do you believe that most people don't believe or what do you, you know what what what's our perspective and trying to figure that out so you know what what do you believe that um that most people are getting wrong you know something yeah. something like that so those questions are a great starter point for yeah. and 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 you'll notice that no, like all of those are generic. You you could ask those to anybody in any field about about any topic, and and you will still get like you will get a month's worth of content for your social media just by asking uh, a principal, yeah. an expert in their field, asking them those questions on 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 camera and recording it. Because then you've got your podcast, you've got your video, you've got your you, tr- you can turn that into um you know pages for your website, blog posts. Uh, you can expand on those. You can turn those into carousels and do all that content repurposing stuff. You know, there's so much that you can do with it once you've got that original content. But 
you can only get that content if the person and the person might be you if you're if you're the principal if you're the expert you can only get that content if you are truly an expert in your field and you know what your clients issues are and this comes back to understanding the buyer's journey right yes and this comes back to and i really love the questions but i i do anticipate that you'll have to really push hard as the interviewer you have to push for specificity in all of these especially the first one because and i'm not like saying this to my clients, I'm not thinking of anyone in particular, but I can totally foresee people answering that first question. Oh, our ideal client is the entire C-suite of the all of the automotive industry in Germany, which is which is not a thing. It's an amorphous blob. Like you got to be more specific than that. This is a human. We specialize in selling company. to businesses. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And we target the C-suite because we don't even know what. See exos they have. It's just we imagine a suite full of guys, probably because it's usually guys uh, with who are very important. Yeah. Now push. Um, that that one is a tricky one. All the others, yes. Mm -hmm. um, and even if you have to push, that's already a fruitful conversation for both content and again the business because if you push them very hard, they might figure something out. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I want to address one final word in yes. the title, which is effective. So we talked a lot about creating the content. And I had a really interesting conversation yesterday, actually, with a lady called Cheryl Plouffe, um, who was on uh, on my podcast and on LinkedIn Live and, and everywhere, uh, like this one is. And so uh, we were talking about um, lead generation through content and yeah. how it's difficult uh, because, you know, it's difficult to directly match. And, and I, I talked with um, uh, Chris from Refine Labs, who talks about this a lot. Uh, Chris Walker, I think. Um, I, think, I hope I've got his name right. Um, but um, he talks about demand generation and, and content and the dark web because it's very difficult to, uh, it's very difficult to match direct ROI for content. And that can be difficult. Uh, for a lot of people when they're trying to convince uh, convince uh, people that they need revenue, um, th that they need um, need funding to for content creation because it's it's very difficult to track back because there's this whole uh, kind of, uh, he calls it, I think he calls it the, yeah. the, the dark social uh, where people are sharing your content and, and people are sharing it on Slack and people are talking about it. People are listening to your podcast. You don't know who's listening to it. And so it's hard to track all of that. But I'm, I'm just interested in how you think about Con the, the the content actually being effective at generating leads. Is there is there anything that you do with the content um, to for in terms of making it more effective for lead generation? So things I do with the content um, goes back to client insight and research, right? Uh, so you you got to publish stuff that's where you can have uh, they can be very confident that it will be relevant to them, and then there are ways where you can sort of guesstimate right whether or not that's the case you have i don't know time on page how many downloads did this get got it shared and so forth I, i'll i'll let the measurement experts speak to that um i think at the end of the day it is um incremental revenue across programs so if we invest 250 grand into a marketing function and its programs as a consulting firm uh does the line go up after a reasonable amount of time. And I'm, I'm, I'm deliberately keeping this very simplistic because I will be honest, I have not made up my mind in full about the whole attribution question. My instinct is to say that is a very real question if you are in a scaled product business with a unified product, like most of these SaaS companies are. You mentioned yes, Chris yes, absolutely. Um, because they are in a per paradigm where measuring the stuff across all the measurements I have, the volume is so great that the errors, which inevitably happen, even in the software space, even with digital marketing, self-reported attribution, all that stuff, so full of errors. But if I sell, I don't know, 1.5 million licenses or seats in a year, you know, it will average out and the, the sample mm -hmm. will become valid. That's the one thing. The second thing is these guys are in an environment where they have the software, that's the product. The content creation is extra. It's an extra effort and investment. Mm -hmm. And yes, they have to be very, very smart at measuring it yeah. and making sure there's a return because it's not core to their business. Now, consultants are in the business of thinking and giving people their thinking all the time. Adding a marketing capability just means I go from giving it just to you, Alistair, to giving it 500 to 500 people on LinkedIn also. So it's not as clear cut um, uh, a distinction between is this a marketing investment 
mm-hmm. or is this a core business investment? And so I'm still struggling with the question. But that's, sorry, that's, that was that's my tangent. Really... That's what my that was my tangent on on marketing. No, I I, I I love that answer, and I, I I think that that's a really great insight. Um, that last piece you said, you know, you you are creating this content anyway, so with just a few minor tweaks you can make it much more, you know, much more applicable to a wider audience and broadcast it to a wider audience. And so for me, the issue with marketing and creating content in the B2B professional services space is that the value of contracts is potentially so high and the number of potential clients that you need is so low that it's um, that it 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 could be it w- it could be written off as you know as as a rounding error, like all you need is three people to see that blog post or that video. If those three people are all CEOs of of ideal target clients for you, you know it. The numbers are so small in terms of the like you could have a million people uh, listening to uh, listening to a podcast. But if if all of those million people are not in your ideal demographic, then that million people are irrelevant. But if you've got ten people listening to it, then and all of those ten are, are within your demographic, you you don't look like you've got a very impressive podcast. But you know if your podcast is listened to by Elon Musk and, and Bill Gates and um, somebody else, um, some other CEO, like th- it's 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 a world of difference. So now I know that you're probably not going to have a small, a tiny podcast listened to by those particular people. But um, but what I mean is that. For me, the, the the issue of the numbers, so long as you are, for me, I, I don't worry about the um, attribution stuff much at, at all because I don't worry about those numbers. So well, not, yeah, that uh, yes, actually, personally, I would agree, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not too concerned is my my stance, but I would not say don't measure it. I would still say drive everything by the numbers because right, interesting. It's, it, it, it's, it, it's better than not doing it because you might learn things that are tactically important, the stuff ah, that works. Yeah, no, that's, that, yeah so, so, but, so you, but you're, using, you're using your analytics for learning and improving, which is a driving, different thing ra- rather than yeah. attribution. Yeah, yeah. yeah so and, absolutely, I can, I can get behind that 100%. Yeah. And the, 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 the fallacy people make in consulting is to, to think that the beneficial outcome of the marketing effort, the return on the marketing investment happens in marketing only. You said it yourself. You said doing the podcast has improved your game mm-hmm. so much, you're almost at the point of not caring if anyone were to ever listen to it. You would keep doing it just for the learning. I'm putting some words in your mouth, but yeah, yeah, serious. no, but I, I, I get your, take your point. Yeah, uh, plus plus the relationships, which is consul- the other yeah. side. Yeah, and that's it. Consultants are in the business of knowledge creation knowledge application and relationship building. Yeah. Marketing is the same thing. It's almost if you play it right and you make it you put it together as closely as possible, it becomes so indistinguishable. You might as well say it's not actually an extra expense, is it? Mm-hmm. It's the cost of doing business in the space we're in. And the return of doing the podcast is not just the, I don't know, 600 listens or whatever per episode. It's us getting better. The colleague who ran for interviews completely remodeled the framework we have for these types of events. There's so much outcome of this. Uh, I would be, uh, uh, I'm very positive that if you only look at the marketing metrics and report that as the return, you're underselling yourself by half at least because there's so much benefit in the stuff that doesn't get tracked. It will never be tracked inside the marketing realm, right? It's outside of that accounting logic. Uh, but still very, very uh, valuable for the firm. And I could mm-hmm. give you examples to no end. There, we have, If you speak to, um, blanking on his name right now, someone gave us the story of uh, um, Kuchen and Partners, which is a German pricing consultancy. They're famous for determining the price of some Porsche cars, completely shifting the industry away from, oh, we take a bunch of, this is our costs. We add 10%, that's the price of the vehicle. They sort of... Um, Turned, took them into value-based pricing, all this stuff. They wrote a book once um, about, I think it's called Pricing Innovation. And uh, you could measure the success of that book against, oh, how many people read it? Like how many increases did we get? Yada, yada, yada. What it actually did was it repositioned the firm as an innovations pricing consultant, which now means they do business in Silicon Valley. They were a very boring, nerdy pricing consultant. Yeah, I'm exaggerating a little bit in Germany 
with some global clients, I'm exaggerating, but now they are, they were suddenly, they were it in, in California uh, and their, their consulting practices changed because of that stuff. They were, they are now able to deliver this work that the venture capital firms are after. That's the outcome of that book. Would you have seen that in your dashboard? Don't think so. Uh, now, I, I also love the fact that they use the title of book in positioning because that's actually something that I'm doing at the moment personally, and I've 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 seen it done before, um, and I think we could get into a whole talk about <laughs> positioning and specialization and and yeah. messaging and things like that. But uh, yeah, I think that it's really clever that the the title of your your flagship signature book uh, that becomes a great way to position yourself. And... becomes the new mission not the business the business model is still a consulting right but that mm -hmm. changed their entire game around the thing maybe i'm uh, maybe i'm uh, there must have been other things going on behind the yeah. scenes but that's that's but... that's fascinating uh, florian we we are we are over the hour mark oh, <laughs> so, my goodness. so i, I think I that we better we better yeah. we better call it call it a day um florian where can people find you if they want to learn more so they can either find me on LinkedIn, that'll probably do it, or the uh, small, small consulting firm I'm running is called Client Friendly, and you can find us under client-friendly.co. Awesome. All I have. Oh, uh, I, I, I also, I also have a podcast, but uh, people can find that on the LinkedIn. Yes, you have a podcast called Unbillable Hours, and I recommend you listen to it. And it's uh, and, and you cover some of the things that we've talked about, and, and some other things with uh, with your uh, your co-host Ash. I guess yeah. we're slightly geared towards the marketing practitioners in firms which have sizable marketing functions. So if mm -hmm. you're in, in there and need some emotional support, that would be the podcast for you. <laughs> yeah, cool. And and Sharon says very interesting. Thanks, thank Sharon. you. So thank you, Sharon. And I know we've had and, a couple and of thanks people. for admitting yeah. you you've been guilty of the same thing we all have. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So uh, Florian, it's it's been great to chat today. Thank you so much for coming on and chatting to me about this. Uh, I think that uh, if you're up for it, we'll do this again sometime. Uh, it's been fun. Let's. I I enjoyed this a ton. Thank you very much. Awesome. And, um, thanks everybody for listening. Thanks for listening to Unbillable Hours. If you want more, tune in next week. You know where to find us.